Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who can finally afford college. Just kidding. No one can afford college. Here is the captain. And I'm not smart enough to go anyways. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are very excited to share a drink with all of you. Today, we are drinking Cast a Line Kolsch by the hardworking folks over at Cabin Boys Brewery. This Kolsch is much like a classic ale with additional flavors of biscuit and lemongrass from the combo of hops and yeast, ABV 4.8%, garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And let's give some toast and cheers to our friends that helped us fill up the old garage fridge this week first up shout out to noel in albuquerque new mexico that's a wonderful city and last but certainly not least we have katie in irving illinois everyone we just mentioned they went to our website truecrimegarage.com clicked on the pint glass and that helped us out with the beer fun for this week's show yeah b-w-e-w-r-u-n beer run If you need more True Crime Garage or you just want more True Crime Garage and you listen on the Apple Podcast app, all you have to do is hit subscribe and you'll get access to all of our bonus shows. We call that show Off the Record. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. A busy, ambitious young college girl moves into her first apartment. She is on her own. She is happy. She is social and outgoing. And she's in school, working toward her dreams of becoming a scientist. But then, in late September of 2004, someone attacked Brittany in her apartment. Dr. Maggie Zygman, Brittany's mother, led the charge looking for answers and for Brittany's killer. In 2007, Maggie began the caravan to catch a killer. Still, to this day, almost 20 years later, Maggie continues to fight for her daughter and best friend, 18-year-old Brittany Phillips. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the still unsolved case of Brittany Phillips. Brittany Yvonne Phillips was born to parents Dr. Maggie Zygman and her husband John on October 4th, 1985. Brittany has an older brother. His name is Josh. He's just one year older than Brittany. Now, Brittany and Josh, they spent their early years growing up in the state of Florida, and then they moved to Kentucky for a brief period of time, followed by settling down in the wonderful city of Tulsa. During this migration period, Maggie and John separated. So Brittany and Josh went to live with their mom after this divorce. Brittany was a social kid. She was a big runner, and as a teen, she even did some modeling. She was also smart and very driven, and her mother says this was not just as a young adult, but her entire life. She started kindergarten a year earlier than most kids, She graduated from Tulsa Union High School in May of 2003. I believe she was only 17 when she graduated from high school. And she did her freshman year in college at her mom's alma mater, which was Eckerd College in Florida. Brittany wanted to become a scientist. She was studying chemistry on a college scholarship, so obviously very smart, very driven. 
But after wrapping up her freshman year, this would be May of 2004, she decided that she was too far from home, too far from mom. She became homesick and wanted to move back to Tulsa. At the same time that Brittany's moving back home, her mother is moving to another city, which is about an hour away from Tulsa. Yes, this is the city of Chandler. And this is because Maggie works as a psychologist in a women's prison. So Brittany spent a couple of months in the early summer. She's couch surfing at the home of a good friend. And then she gets a job as a waitress at an Applebee's restaurant. She decided it wasn't for her. So she decided to get a, another job at a waitressing at another restaurant. She decided to start taking classes at Tulsa Community College. This is in July of 2004. Brittany enrolled at Tulsa Community College full-time, and in August, she moved into an apartment of her own, the Glen Eagles apartment complex. This is just across the street from her old high school, so she knows the area. She's familiar with the area. It's, it's in her comfort zone. Yeah. Her new address was 9407 East 65th Street. The complex was a cluster of several two-story buildings, very commonly rented to students at the community college. It was thought to be a safe neighborhood, and Maggie, her mother, felt very comfortable with the move and with the location. And also we have her brother, Josh. He's a student at the community college as well. So older brother still nearby in case of an emergency. Mom's about an hour away in Chandler. And everything was setting up to be great for Brittany for 2004. Now, researching this case, uh, did you get this feeling? I got the sense that she was a very bright kid, worked very hard on academics. Then she went away to school. Again, like you said, kind of out of her comfort zone. So now she's coming back. But, but it almost feels like in a sense that maybe she was also just burnt out a little bit. And so this was kind of a reset in Brittany's life. I think you're exactly right here, Captain. It does feel like a bit of a reset. It's going back home and realizing that, look, the academic part of going to college in Florida, that wasn't an issue. It's just many of us need to be close to our families and close to home and close to what we know. And that's what it looks like with Brittany here. Now, she is making friends rather easily with other students at the community college. She's making friends with some of the residents at her new apartment complex. And she started casually dating a guy that, that she had recently met at this time. And it's said that she took this man, this young man, to meet her mom, Maggie, over dinner. She said that the young man seemed to be very nice, very polite, but she didn't get the vibe that the relationship was going to be a serious one. Seemed a little casual. Which is a little strange to me because I'm like, if it's going to be casual, then why have them meet your family? But maybe it was also just like happenstance where it's like, well, we're going to hang out, but then I made plans with my mom and I kind of double booked. So, hey, you want to go with me to meet my mom? <laughs> That's the vibe that I get because we have all of her friends saying the same thing, like that Brittany did not have a steady boyfriend. So nobody seems to think that this was something that was very serious. Now, to fill in the blanks of the relationship, and I think the moving back home is very telling about the relationship between Brittany and her mother, but her mother refers to Brittany as her best friend. So they were, they were very close and now mom's living an hour away. I think you're right, captain. I think mom comes home to visit with Brittany and she brings her date along as kind of a tag along for, for the, a nice dinner with mom. Right. So more of a tag along less, Hey, Meet my mother because this is getting serious. Around the same time, too, we also have Brittany who is kind of reconnecting with an old boyfriend from high school. This is someone that she dated in either ninth and or 10th grade. His name is Billy. So that's what's going on in Brittany Phillips' world at the time. Now, 
unfortunately, Brittany is going to be killed. She's our victim here this week. And there's a lot of information that we have on her case. And there, but there's a lot of room here that, that still needs to be filled up with information. There's still some, a good number of questions involved in this case. And it's a bet. It's a bit of a messy case. And I think everybody will agree with that statement after we get into some of the details. Now, one thing that is, was surprising to Maggie. So Maggie says that she found out after her daughter's death that Brittany was hiding something from her, which Maggie thought was strange because as said, they were very close. And this took place about two weeks before Brittany was killed. This is when Brittany got a call from a close friend who lived in Texas and we are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's not terribly far away. The friend confided in Brittany that she had been sexually assaulted by an ex of hers and asked Brittany to come down to help her get through this traumatic period. So she goes down there and with, along with another friend, they drive down to Texas they are going to console their friend and and try to help her get through this very traumatic situation. Right. This is a surprise to mom because she said, Hey, I'm going down there on vacation, right? I'm going to take a little vacation with my friend. We're going to go to South Padre Island. Now Maggie feels that Brittany wasn't honest with her because she says, if had I known while why she was going down to Texas, I would have not let her go because she says I would have been too concerned about her safety because the circumstances of the sexual assault are, or were unclear at the time. Right. Which is, which is understandable, but we have to remind the listeners, Brittany is not a minor. So even though her mom could have suggested, I don't want you to go. That doesn't mean that Brittany wouldn't have gone And I also, you know, I don't think she was necessarily keeping secrets from her mother. It could be a situation as simply when something like that happens and somebody confides in you that sometimes they they want you not to tell other people. Exactly. So so it could be as simple as her friend said, please don't tell anybody. Yeah, I'm telling you this in confidence and and until... I changed my mind. I'd rather it not be discussed with others openly. Right. Now it's believed captain that this trip took place around September 15th. And as we've already covered, and as you just said, yes, Brittany is an adult. She's 18. She's, she would turn 19 on October 4th. So it's, we're just weeks before her 19th birthday. And yes, she's already living in her own apartment. So Mom right. might not have had the ability to completely stop her from going down there. But by September 27th, we have Brittany. She's back in Tulsa and she's fully immersed in school at this time. She's studying chemistry. She wanted to go into pharmaceutical research. Her course load was 16 credits. So a lot of work. Now, the 27th of September, that was a Monday. She had an allergy-based sinus situation that was brewing. And it sounds to me, Captain, like she had a lot of sinus problems. And so she's not feeling well, but she decided to go to class anyway. Now, we know she was in class that day because she bumps into her brother, Josh, on the campus. They talk very briefly, say hello. Now, this is going to get us to 6 p.m. on September 27th. She went with a friend to an urgent care clinic. Again, this is because she's not feeling well. She toughed it out, went to school that day. Now she's going to go to urgent care. Hopefully she can get some relief from this sinus problem. Right. She calls her mother, Maggie, at 7.15 that night and said that she had been waiting for 75 minutes without being seen. She was stressed out because she had an 8 p.m. class. Maggie told her to leave. She didn't get an appointment. 
she she didn't get to see a doctor, but said that she would schedule an appointment for later that week. So Brittany and her friend, they leave the clinic. It is known that Brittany then went to an ATM at Bank of America. She stopped at her friend's house at 51st and Memorial Drive and then went to class on the TCC campus. Do we know how much that she withdrew from the ATM? That I don't know, but... I'm guessing with it being a college kid, I'm guessing with it being a college kid, it's probably not a significant amount of money. That was, that was my thought when looking into this case, because you hear that she goes to the ATM and then I thought, well, if it was a large number that law enforcement probably would know this and we'd probably know that information. So it's, it's probably really just a very nothing burger on the on the timeline. Yeah. And it's really just marking all of her movements. When you see an ATM visit, your mind goes to, okay, well, could somebody have followed her from the ATM? Now, while it's not out of the realm of possibility, keep in mind, she doesn't go from the ATM to home. She goes to the ATM, stops at a friend's house, then goes to class and then drives a friend home after class. And she does speak to her mom, Maggie, again on a brief phone call that night they said i love you the way that they always did so nothing's out of the norm as far as mom maggie is concerned Brittany was actually expected to go to maggie's home for the weekend so they were kind of shoring up those plans a little bit right now Brittany would be killed and found in her apartment while we cannot say 100 percent with 100% certainty that after this phone call, after dropping off her friend, that she went home immediately. But it's believed by law enforcement and by Brittany's family and everyone that knows her that that would have been exactly what she was doing. Drop off the friend, talk to mom briefly, and then she then go straight back to her house. And there's nothing to suggest that that is not the case. And that's backed up further by the lead detective on the case, Jeff Felton, who told the Tulsa World publication that after leaving her friend's house, it is believed Brittany got into her car and drove home. Quote, that is the last time anybody saw her about 9.45 p.m. We know she made it home, but she never attended any of her other classes that week. And that's that statement is important. I want everybody to make mental note of that as we go through the timeline that 9 45 PM is about the last time anybody would have seen her. We know that she made it home, but she didn't attend any of her other classes that week. This is going to take us to Tuesday, the 28th captain Maggie didn't speak to Brittany. And this is maybe of a little bit of concern. They didn't talk every day. They were very close, but, but Maggie says that they spoke practically every other day if you had to break it up now it gets a little tricky on this tuesday right we have that statement by police but she never attended any of her other classes that week now to be clear on that it's actually a little bit murky it's i would say that it's unknown whether Brittany went to class on the 28th on tuesday the 28th So most articles, most sources here say that she missed classes on Tuesday. And the detective said that as well. But what I want to be clear on here is, do we know for certain that this was actually verified with the college? One. And two, anybody that's attended college knows that sometimes they take attendance, sometimes they don't have attendance records at all because when you're paying to go to school they don't really care if you show up or not it's not like it's not like high school where you're truant if you if you didn't attend yeah it all depends on on the teacher some teachers will tell you right away you miss more than three classes you're you're done but then other teachers will say as long as you do your homework and as long as you take the test you don't have to show up ever So it's hard to tell what kind of teachers she had and also what types of classes, because if you're in a class of, let's say, over 100 people, is anybody going to really notice if you were there or not? 
So even if the so if the teacher doesn't take attendance, yeah, you might have a hundred other people in that class, but do they know her well enough to say, "Oh yeah, I remember her being there on the Tuesday." And with all of that said, it seems like so a quick breakdown. The twenty seventh, we know she's driving home, nine forty five p.m. That's the last time anybody saw her. Law enforcement saying she didn't attend any of her other classes that week. Tuesday, we're saying could be a question mark if she attended any classes, but it seems like law enforcement is set on the idea that, nope, she didn't go to school. On the 29th, she missed all of her classes, and this date seems to be fact. This is this is fact-based. We can say with, with 100% confidence she did not attend any classes on the 29th. Maggie says that she tried calling Brittany that day, got no answer. She left a message saying, hey, I'm calling to check on you. Can you call me? She thought that maybe Brittany was just sleeping a lot because remember last time she spoke with her, she wasn't feeling well and feeling so poorly that she had to go to urgent care and never got to see the doctor. Right Now we do have some of Maggie's words right here. She says, quote, Tuesday, the 28th, I tried calling her, didn't get an answer. I left a voicemail, tried calling her on the 29th, didn't get an answer again. And I left another voicemail. Maggie said that she wasn't really surprised she didn't get a hold of Brittany as she knew she had late classes. Remember, we talked about her her course load and had late classes on Tuesday and that Wednesday. She just thought, you know, my daughter got busy or she doesn't feel well and she's just not calling me back. Now, this so just is to, to be clear, on the Monday, she goes to class. That's the day that she went to the emergency room that's the day she talked to her mom on the phone talking about how she's going to spend the weekend with her and then she drops her friend off and then she goes home that's that you i think you said is the 27th that's the monday correct right so on tuesday we don't know if she showed up to school we have no record of her showing up all week okay i just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on that. Yep. And it, by the 29th, now mom is getting concerned. Right. Now, this is going to take us to the 30th, which would be the Thursday. This is a friend of Brittany's who has not been named in any of the research material that I could find or any of the um, newspaper articles. But th- this is a friend who is now getting concerned, saying, look, I haven't seen Brittany in a while, and I've also been attempting to get her on the phone. She's not answering my calls, and her friend's saying this is very out of character, and oh, by the way, I've not seen her on the college campus either for a few days. So now we have mom and friend who are concerned together, right? United in this concern for Brittany Phillips. And so the friend goes to the apartment on the 30th, decided to call her father once she got there saying, Hey, I'm at her apartment. She's not answering. I have an uneasy feeling. She's called Brittany's dad. No, no. She's calling her own father. Okay. And saying, dad, what do I do? And dad says, I'm going to call the police. So the friend's dad calls the police and requests a wellness check Best thing you can do. Correct. Better better safe than sorry. I wish in a lot of these cases, you know, we have people that, well, I went and checked the apartment and then I came back a couple of days later. No, best thing you do, best thing you can do is call the police. They're there to protect and serve us. And this is one of the services. And don't ever feel embarrassed either because police do more of these welfare checks than the general public's aware of. This is a, this is a pretty common thing. Um, especially when also, you know, if you talk to police officers and you ask them what they would do, if a loved one wasn't responding, they would do the same thing. And what's the harm? They knock on the door, Brittany answers, Oh, I'm sorry. I've been sick. And then you, you go, Hey, nothing bad happened. Good. Yeah. Back to work for the police. And to really kind of put the listener into the driver's seat here, uh, and fully experience the situation. So the friend shows up to the apartment, knocks on the door, hoping that her friend's going to answer, hoping that Brittany opens up the door, 
oh, it's a misunderstanding, everything's fine, or I'm not feeling well, decided to stay in the apartment for a few days till I feel better. That's what she's expecting. She knocks on the door, gets no answer. She checks the, the doorknob, and she says, the door's not locked. And oh, so God. she turns the doorknob, opens the door just a little bit, and then closes it because she said she got scared. So this yeah. is a young woman too. This is some one of Brittany's peers, one of her friends. So this is a young woman as well. She gets scared. That's why she calls her dad. Of course, now police are on the scene. They arrived at the apartment and they confirm the door is unlocked. They go inside. They entered the apartment on the 30th at 959 PM, according to the police record. They find, unfortunately, find Brittany lying on the floor next to her bed. Her head is pointing toward the foot of the bed, and she she's deceased at this time. Do you have many details on this apartment? Is it a one-bedroom? Is it a studio apartment? It's a small apartment, yes. it's uh, So she lives on the second floor, from my understanding. There's apartments on the on the ground level and then on the second floor as well. And she is in one of the end units. So you have 16 apartments in this one building, right? There's no like shared space or common space. There's right. you walk up the steps to walk over to the door that you're of the apartment that you need to go to. So you have eight on one side, eight on the other side, she's on one of the end units. So technically she only has one next door neighbor that makes sense yeah but the nice thing is because these apartments are so close you possibly will have eyewitnesses or ear witnesses yes now they're going to send out a deputy to maggie's house remember she's living in chandler an hour away so it's at 1 a.m that she finds out that that her daughter's been murdered the deputy tells her after confirming that she is Maggie Zygmunt, he says, you need to call the Tulsa police. Your daughter's been murdered. She finds out that Josh, her son had already been notified by the Tulsa police department of his sister's death. Maggie drives straight to Tulsa, but the cops would not let her into the apartment. Brittany had already been identified by her driver's license and removed from the apartment and off to the medical examiner's office. That is when Detective Jeff Felton tells mom, Maggie, that her daughter had been raped and murdered. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates, to the windows, to the walls, onward and upward. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. We do have the autopsy report here. Um, so well, a lot real, of real quick, is is it? Do you think it's a little fast? How fast? How quickly they removed her body and took it to get examined? Because you you figure like they have to, you know do the photographs they have to start collecting evidence obviously once they remove the body they can continue to collect evidence but it seems a little quick to me it does seem a little bit on the quick side it's been about three or four hours by the time the body is removed but i think too a lot of that it it has to do with jurisdiction i mean everything happens differently in every jurisdiction Right. But in this situation, my belief is the reason why the bodies were moved so quickly from the apartment is how she was killed. So here's some of the information from the autopsy report. The, the office of the chief medical examiner was notified of Brittany's death at 1245 a.m. on October 1st. So now we're to October 1st. We were able to review some of this report. And it reflects the body was found by police and death pronounced at 2200 hours, which is 10 p.m. 
Now, the narrative on the autopsy report states the following. This is the medical examiner's words. I arrived at the scene, which was an upstairs apartment on October 1st at approximately 1.45 a.m. I was led to the bedroom. The bedroom door leading to an outdoor balcony was open. A used dried tampon was near the body. The body was on the floor immediately next to her bed. Her head was turned to the right and her face was congested and purple. There were numerous towels on the deceased and items of her clothing were adjacent to her. One of the towels adjacent to the right side of the bed was soaked with decomposition type fluid. She was clothed only in a shirt. I'm pulling from the report here this information because we're going to see how it will be valuable to the investigation later. But also this statement right here is interesting to me because there are a lot of other source material out there that I found that said that she was wearing more clothing than just a shirt. But from the autopsy report says she's only wearing a shirt. Rigor mortis was minimal and very easily broken in the extremities. It was absent in the jaw. Early decomposition change included drying of the fingertips, focal marbling, focal bloating of the face, decomposition fluid exuding from the nose and mouth, and mild decomposition odor. The hands were examined, and no specific trace evidence was identified. The hands were bagged, and the body packaged. It says the medical examiner left the premises at 3.15 a.m., Now, the cause of death was asphyxia due to neck compression, so strangulation. Right. And, of course, she's going to show signs of petechial hemorrhaging, hemorrhages in the eyes. So it makes it sound like what they gathered in evidence as far as, like, her hands are concerned is that our suspect that we should be looking for is not going, he wouldn't have had injuries to him. It didn't look like she was able to put up a fight. That seems to be correct based off of that statement. The other part of this report is that there's no evidence that a ligature of any type was used. Right. To paint this unsettling picture a little more in detail here, Brittany was a petite young woman. And so based off of the Emmy's report here, what it looks like to me is that somebody just overpowered her, strangled her. The hyoid bone was found to be intact, but the ME is basically saying it was obvious just by with his trained eye that we that he observed these abrasions on her neck that indicates to him this is the result of neck compression. She was unable to breathe and and died because of that. Obviously, if you're law enforcement, you're going to be at her apartment. You're going to be looking for what items are there, what items aren't there. You said that she was only in a T-shirt, but there's mixed reports on that. But I'm going to go with the medical examiner's report. She's in a T-shirt. But what about any jewelry or did she have anything else on her when they removed the body from the crime scene yeah so the personal effects inventory listed here we have white shirt as you mentioned and we have white metal hoop earrings now this goes to the manner of how she was killed too she also has a white metal necklace but it was broken and the as you heard before we went to the break, unfortunately, the conclusion here is that she was raped and murdered. So we have a sexual assault that took place as well. Did, there, did they say if there was any evidence of, because sometimes with these cases, you know, the killer will make the individual take a shower beforehand or afterwards. Do we have any evidence if she, she did or did not do that? Well, that's an interesting angle here because we do know that the CSIs collected 70 
seven zero DNA swabs from Brittany's body looking for evidence, including under her fingernails. Now, unfortunately, the autopsy report says nothing about what was collected or found with any of those swabs. Right. So that doesn't mean that nothing was found. It just means that it's not in the report that we were able to see. Well, we do know obviously that, they probably did a rape kit as well. We do know that they did the toxicology and that came back clean. Maggie says that she was told that Brittany was raped before she was killed, but the autopsy report makes zero mention of conducting a rape kit. It does mention some external examination. Again, no uh-huh. evidence is listed here or no injury is listed here. And there was never any mention by police of DNA from a rape kit. Now, one article does say that evidence at this scene suggested that a sexual assault had occurred. No doubt that was because she's partially unclothed and tampon removed. The medical examiner didn't record the core body temperature, even though apparently he did measure it. So I I don't know why to me, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Captain, what it appears to me is that we have a not so great report here. And maybe it's that, that everything was checked, I hope, but not everything was recorded, if that makes sense. Right. So if they did a rape kit, well, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We don't know because the report is kind of incomplete. And look, you could have a great medical examiner you could have a great medical examiner that does a thorough job, but part of doing that thorough job is doing a thorough report. Yes. Especially when you have a case that's going to sit in the unsolved pile for this many years, this is something that people are going to need to reference. Right. And you may not, Mr. Medical examiner, you may not always be around to, for us to, reach out to with questions and we're going to have to rely on your reports. Now we've seen this in other cases and we've talked about why this happens and, and how it makes sense. But remember the core body temperature part of this report, they don't conclude the medical examiner does not conclude or even give an estimated time slash date of death. And I'm guessing that's based off the science or evidence or lack thereof. What we're going to have here is we're going to be relying on police to shorten that window, to make that that window of time as precise as it possibly can be to help us look for the person that did this, the, the, the man that did this. Based off of the information that police collect, is that they narrow down the time of death to 10 p.m. on the 27th to sometime early the next morning on the 28th. Again, that's based off of nobody sees her. Nobody talks to her after that 9.45 p.m. on the 27th. And unfortunately, Brittany was buried on what would have been her 19th birthday, October 4th, 2004. Now we got to figure out who did this. And this, usually we have some suspects that are right there, the obvious suspects for you, but not so much in this case, right? Who could have done this? As we covered, Brittany has no steady boyfriend. She has no known stalker or enemies. She didn't do drugs. She led a very low risk lifestyle. I'd also say that for the majority of the time, if somebody has somebody in their life that is being overbearing or stalker-ish, that normally you tell your mom about it or tell at least some friends about it. So it is possible that she had somebody like that in her life, but I would say unlikely because no word to the mother and no word to any of her friends about it. Well, and keep in mind, she's been gone for a year, right? She's only at this location. She's only back in Tulsa for about three months. Yeah. And then, but it doesn't kill. 
I actually think this makes things more complicated because if I'm law enforcement, I'm looking at this and go, okay, so we don't have anybody with red flags right away going, well, this guy that she dated was a weirdo. We need to look into him. So you don't have these red flags right away. So you got to go, okay, well, who was she dating? And even though they might have been casually dating, we need to question them. And then it makes it a little bit harder because like you said, she was in Florida for like a year. Okay. Who was she talking to down there? Was there anybody down there that she was dating that maybe if we start looking into, we're going to see some red flags? Well, and when you talk to everybody that knows her, you talk to friends and family, everybody in her social circle, and that doesn't lead you to a suspect, then you do your due diligence. You got to go back to the crime scene, right? That's where you're hoping to find something pointing you to the person that did this. Now, and do we know how many total units there were in this apartment complex? Because you, I would, I would assume again, you got to look at her, her inner circle, but you also have to, I think your inner circle becomes your community as well. And her community would be a little bit larger and a lot more people of her peers. Cause like you said, a lot of the people living in these apartments were going to the community college. Exactly. And so it's a large apartment complex. And we'll go through some more of the details of that. I want to get us back to the crime scene and, and tear through that. But so we've already covered that Brittany lived in a second floor apartment at the Glen Eagles complex. Her apartment was accessible by climbing the exterior stairs from the ground level. So you walk up the steps and then you can go to her apartment. Now right. there's no exterior common area door or foyer. There's no area for people to go into. Each apartment has its own entrance door, which led directly to the outside of the apartment. Now the key thing here, one of the interesting aspects of this crime scene is police can't find any sign of forced entry. So the question was, how did her attacker get into Brittany's apartment? Right. The thing that that's going to possibly lead you to your suspect here is what's found at that crime scene. So we have CSIs at the scene. They uncovered some very important evidence as they were processing this apartment. They find a semen stain that was on the sheets like bedding and they, and then they find a small amount of blood. It's listed as a droplet of blood that was on one of the bedroom walls. Now, I want to be clear here because some reports vary that droplet of blood. Some reports state that it's on one of the bedroom walls. Other reports say that it was on a hall, a small hallway wall that led to the bedroom. But it shouldn't take too many tests to figure out, does that blood match that semen? Right. And that's that's one thing that they're going to work on. And yes, it does belong to the same person that deposited those fluids. Yeah. So like you were saying, if I'm law enforcement, how did this person get in? I mean, obviously, you always have the possibility that Brittany just didn't lock her doors. Yes, that's correct. So... The, the other questions that you have here, too, was she lying in bed when she was attacked? Was she sleeping or attempting to go to sleep that night when yeah. somebody or was she coming in and out of the shower or not? Well, and, you know, we've also talked about this where no, I, so I don't I think we can get rid of the whole shower idea again. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but what we do have is remember the friend that she drops off after class, right? Police confirm with that friend that the shirt that they found when they found Brittany, the shirt that she was still wearing is the shirt that she wore to class that night and the shirt that she was wearing when she dropped off her friend. And the reports state that Brittany's pants were found lying on the floor next to her. So it sounds like to me, either somebody gets into this apartment somehow or is it possible you mentioned the shower idea, which I think that's interesting to examine because I'll, I kind of picture this as she's getting ready for bed. Right. Uh, or, or not, or, or not had the ability to get ready for bed completely yet. And somehow the attack goes down and, you know, captain, it could be as simple as bad guy knocks on the door and 
young woman opens the door. It could it could right. be just that simple. But so what police are saying here is their exact words is, quote, it didn't look like somebody broke in, but there were some disruption. Okay, what were the disruptions? Well, the dis- disruption is police are saying there was evidence of a struggle in the bedroom. Okay. And it, it appeared to them that during the struggle, the attacker had flung Brittany against the wall. So this is the wall opposite of where her body was found. So in the bedroom, somebody pushed her or threw her into the wall. So she's attempting to fight this guy off. This is based off of marks on the wall that I presume line up with marks on her person. Right. There have also been reports that the apartment was ransacked, but Maggie, her mom says it just might have been my messy daughter lived. You know, this looks to me like my messy daughter lived here. Not that somebody was going through the apartment looking for something. This is the, this is the part of the case that I cannot make heads or tails of the screens, you know, the window screens. Yeah. There were four windows for that apartment. All four of these window screens were found inside the apartment. They were removed from the windows and inside the apartment. She could have been trying to clean them. That's what I wonder. Is this a situation where she took them off and cleaned the windows and just didn't put them back on yet? Maybe she was going to do that the next day. Seems like a weird thing when the mom's saying, well, look, (laughs) this, my daughter was a little messy, but I guess you could be a little messy and you, you know, you get into this apartment and you want to clean the windows and oh, while I'm cleaning the windows, let me cr- clean these screens as well. I just look, I'm not trying to take anything away from young people, but I was 18 once cleaning the outside of the windows of an apartment that I'm not going to keep for my, the entirety of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> was way down on the list of to do items. And that's why and they call you dirty grandpa. Well, here's the thing, Captain. The So if this would make sense if somebody were to have used that as a way to get into the apartment, right? We've seen plenty of cases where you we have a cut window screen or window screen is removed and somebody accesses the premises through the window. Yeah, that would make but, more sense if it's on floor number one and not floor right. number two. She's on the second story floor here the second story and all the reports that i've reviewed have said that there would have been no way for somebody to climb up the exterior of the building and enter one of those windows and here's the other thing if you are accessing the apartment via window you're removing one screen you're not removing all four to me if i saw that i would just start off with the thought that this is probably not what the killer used and more likely it was just that maybe Brittany removed them to clean the windows or maybe she was cleaning the screens herself. The other thing too is it's not police removing them and checking for fingerprints because it's the police that are saying we found the four screens removed and we we can't sort out why that would be. Right. The other problem here too is the medical examiner's report has a weird note in it that says that the French doors to Brittany's balcony were open when he arrived. So the problem here, we can't sort out based off of the medical examiner's report. Were they left open by the killer? Were they left open by Brittany? And somehow the killer got up to the second floor balcony and accessed the the apartment through these French doors that she already had open. The other possibility here too would be that look, it appears that she had laid there in that apartment for some period of time. Did they open up the doors? Did police open up those doors to air out the place a little bit before the medical examiner arrived? Here's the thing though, before we move off of these French doors, captain, we have Maggie Brittany's mom, who says that when she went to go clean out the apartment, that there was some lattice work that's on the outside of the French doors. She says that that appeared to her to be messed up is the way that she described it. But she, this is a very 
logical, very smart woman, Maggie. And she clarifies by saying, look, I don't know whether that was already like that or not, or if it has something to do with how the attacker accessed the apartment. So it's, it's worth noting here that mm-hmm. someone could theoretically have climbed up into the balcony. We say this because we, we know of a specific story where, okay, so Brittany gets locked out of her apartment and mm-hmm. she had a friend, a tall male resident friend who climbed up to her balcony goes into the apartment and then unlocks the front door. So I'm pointing, I'm just pointing that out to show a situation where the apartment renter locks himself out of the apartment and doesn't, is not locking the balcony door. So if I'm law enforcement, like I said, I got to start talking to her friends. I got to talk to these guys that she's been seeing, even though they're casual, these are part of her inner circle. But because she lives in an apartment complex that has a lot of college age students, a lot of people around the same age as her, I got to put them into the inner circle. Then I'm also going, well, who knew about this story about her getting locked out? Is that somebody, again, in her inner circle that would have knew about this and, and possibly knew that the balcony could have been a point of entrance? and not to look as if you were breaking and entering. But also it makes you wonder, if I'm law enforcement, I'm going, okay, who's your handyman around here? How many do you have? Because they would have access as well. Yes, the apartment complex, they're going to have access to this apartment, and some of their vendors would, but you know, not in the middle of the night. The, the other tricky thing here, too, is I've seen this several times, and this usually you just find this with uh, burglary cases, mm-hmm. but it, it's not terribly uncommon. So the four apartments on her side that all face the same direction, they shared an attic together. So you could, if you lived in apartment A, let's say it's apartment A, right? You could climb up into the hatch, through the hatch, get into the attic above your apartment and probably military crawl your way and open up the hatch and drop down into apartment B. Now we know that this is fact because the detective, he did just that. He went up into one of the hatches, crawled through and could drop down into Brittany's apartment. The thing is here and the detective, he's six foot two. He's not a small guy. So it, it seems like most people would be able to do that. Most people would be able to fit through there. I want, I question who would even know that that's a possibility, right? It's, it would seem to me like a very short list of people would know that those addicts are all connected. So like you're saying, we handyman, maintenance person, cable guys, telephone company people, electric company, HVAC people who service the apartment complex. Those are the people that I think might have some knowledge that that's even a possibility. But I do want to be clear here. We do have police saying that we looked up there and we're not finding evidence that someone had been up there, that that was how that they access Brittany's apartment. Well, and because there's multiple crimes, again, she was murdered, but we have a rape. Then to me, it's like, what was the intention? Was the intention that this person wanted to rape Brittany? And then after he did so, figured, well, I'll kill her to cover, you know, to try to cover my tracks because she knew me or got too good of a look at me. You know, what, what was the motive here? Here's some, the options on how Brittany's killer could have accessed the apartment. Okay. Brittany could have let him in. He was waiting for her when she got home. Right now, this could be, he's either already in the apartment or forced his way inside with her. You know, as mm-hmm. she's unlocking the door, as you covered, Captain, maybe he had a key somehow. 
We also know that the killer could have climbed up onto the balcony and accessed the apartment through the French doors. I'm going to remove the attic hatch in that space from our list because we have police saying that they found zero evidence that that's the case. We also find, unfortunately, no useful fingerprints were found in the apartment. I do like the fact that you did bring up this attic angle because if the cops weren't doing their job, if they weren't doing their due diligence, like we like to say, then they wouldn't even known this was a possibility. So just to, to hear that the cops seem to be looking at every angle of how somebody could have got into the apartment makes me feel a little bit better about their investigation. Oh, exactly. I believe that is very thorough investigation that took place here. And, and it's, fascinating to me that they seem to be looking at this through all angles right they're they're going outside the box if you will to come up with how did this how did everything go down now unfortunately the apartment complex did not have surveillance cameras and neither did businesses in the immediate area and i'm not trying to squeeze in a plug here but you hear us and you've heard us on the show before one of our sponsors has been simply safe for several years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was telling someone the other day, so I, I have cameras on, most of us have the ring doorbell camera or a doorbell camera by any number of different companies or brands. But I have a camera near all of the entrances, possible entrances and exits to my house. And so all four sides of the house have a camera on. And somebody asked me, they go, well, that makes sense. It seems a little, seems maybe a little expensive, but, um, you know, I, I got one on my front porch and I I think that's probably good enough. And I said, you know, maybe it is good enough. I said, but we cover so many of these stories. We cover so many of these cases to me, this is going to sound really dumb to the average Joe, but if something happens to me or something bad happens inside my house, even if I'm not around, I want the bastard to be caught. And those cameras are so valuable. And I, we've said this when we talked about the Jennifer Kessie case and some of these other apartment cases. This took place in 2004. You know, this is not 1970, not, not 1980s, 2004. If you are a single individual, especially a young woman, that should be at the top of your list when you go to look at these apartments and when you're talking to the, the company that's going to be renting you the apartment. What is the security like here? Yes, we know this was supposed to be a safe area. We know yeah. that this was supposed to be a, it was noted to be a safe apartment complex. But that put that at the top of your list. Do you have security cameras? Do you have security measures that have been taken? Because here in this situation, while we cannot bring this young woman back, but if we had those cameras, we might be able to see who, or at least how this person Mm -hmm. gained access to her apartment. Yeah. And like we say all the time, I mean, an individual is attacking you, assume they're trying to kill you and fight and claw and try to do enough damage that they're going to leave behind that DNA that they can test. And then, Again, maybe you you lose the struggle. Maybe you end up losing your life. But if if it was me, I would want every possible way for the person to, to get caught. And so a lot of these apartment complexes have a common place for people to enter and exit. This one doesn't. But a lot of times you see when they don't have a common place that they at least have cameras on the parking lot. But it doesn't seem like we have evidence of that. But then it made me wonder, do we have any evidence that we could look, you know, with the, with the school being basically across the street? Because we know that they would have some cameras. No, I mean, th- we don't have any surveillance cameras in the right. area. As the, the, we know the apartment complex didn't have them, and we know that the nearby businesses didn't have them.
Join us back here in the garage for part two. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.